It's Wednesday, September 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Ever since Pluto was lost as a planet back in 2006, astronomers have been in search for the elusive Planet 9. A recent study published last month is re-examining evidence for a possible ninth planet far beyond Neptune. The evidence lies in the clustering of icy asteroids and comet cores. Something big with a lot of gravity is pulling on them. The next step is looking in the right place, and the recent study also has a so-called treasure map that tells astronomers where to look. Mike Brown, professor of planetary astronomy at Caltech, and also part of the team that took Pluto's classification away, joins us for the current hunt for Planet 9. Next, the number of men that are enrolled at two- and four-year colleges has fallen behind women by record levels, and there seems to be no reversal in sight. Part of the problem is that fewer men are applying, but there are also a host of other issues, including the rising cost of education and the need to make more money now. Some say the time and energy required is not worth the cost. Others have a lack of guidance or feel lost on what to do next. Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how more men are giving up on college. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The exciting thing about it is that the the same research that led to the realization that, that Pluto shouldn't have been a planet is what leads us to realize that there is something else out there, something that really is a planet and a quite huge one. Joining us now is Mike Brown, astronomer and professor of planetary astronomy at Caltech. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Well, it's my pleasure. I want to talk about a very interesting topic. I love space news, and younger people right now might not have realized that we used to have nine planets uh, that got changed to eight planets in 2006. Mike, you were actually a part of that campaign that that demoted Pluto back in 2006 uh, to just being a dwarf planet, not a, a full-fledged planet. But astronomers, have, including yourself, obviously, have, have continued to look for that elusive ninth planet. And there was a recent study that you and a colleague did that published in, in August talking about some clues as to why there might be one, why you think there might be one. So uh, please tell us more about that. But if you could start off, tell us a little bit about what life has been like for you since you killed Pluto. Your, your Twitter handle is actually Pluto Killer, which I thought was very funny. So what has it been like, you know, shaking up the space world that way? So I'll have to say that I, I like to say not that Pluto was demoted, but that we, we finally classified Pluto correctly. It's really that it had never been a planet to begin with, and we were just wrong about it for many decades. But people didn't take that very well when we <laughs> demoted it. So I, I, I did. For, for a long time, I got, I got hate mail and strange phone calls, and, and um, it still happens occasionally whenever Pluto is back in the news. But for the most part... I think people have have moved on from worrying about whether Pluto is is much of a planet or not. But the exciting thing about it is that the the same research that led to the realization that that Pluto shouldn't have been a planet is what leads us to realize that there is something else out there, something that really is a planet and a quite huge one. And that's the thing that we're hot on the tail of right now. Uh, Okay, so catch us up then. What are we seeing out there beyond NEP that you say points to there being a planet out there? So beyond Neptune, there is this, this vast number of small icy bodies. A lot of people think of asteroids, you know, there's, there's an asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter of all these rocky bodies, but there's an, it's another sort of an asteroid belt beyond Neptune of icy bodies. And, and that's the fact that this belt exists and contains things like Pluto and, like, and more is, is why we had to finally change Pluto's classification. But as we continued to study these icy bodies more and more, we, we realized that 
the most distant ones, the ones that uh, go on these really looping orbits that go far away from the sun and come back, maybe take 10,000 years to go around the sun, all of the most distant ones looked like they were being tugged at their furthest point by something, by the gravitational pull of something. And as we continued to look for more of them and to try to understand what could be going on, we realized the only thing that makes any sense is there must be a giant planet, something like 15 times further out than Neptune, and something like half the mass of Neptune. It would be about six times more massive than the Earth, about twice as big across, maybe three times as big across as the Earth. So this big thing, not not some little tiny, slightly larger than Pluto that we'll have to argue about. This is legitimately the fifth largest planet in the solar system out there waiting to be found. But right now, just tugging with its gravity, giving little tugs on things that go a little too far out. And obviously, you mentioned we've never really seen Planet Nine, obviously. So we're just not looking in the right place yet. So what are we doing to kind of hone in on that? How are we trying to track it down there? This was the topic of this uh, article that we just published is where is it? And, you know, we, we see that it's tugging things, but can we use the signatures of those tugs to try to figure out where it is? And, and it took, it was a, a, a three-year effort, really, to figure out the math and the computations that needed to be done to be able to use the things we can see to try to figure out this thing we can't see. And we now have a map. We call it the treasure map that shows where in the sky you should look for Planet Nine. And out there for anybody. So anybody who wants to go start looking and has a really big telescope that they can use, um, we now know where to direct those searches. And there's an observatory in Chile that's coming online in 2023. Full operations are going to start there. So you're hoping that that would be helpful in it. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic observatory, um, the, the Vera Rubin Observatory. It's going to do many things for, for many astronomers, but basically all, all it does is it takes pictures of the night sky night after night after night after night, covering the whole sky once every couple nights. And so something like Planet Nine, the way you will find it is you take a picture one night, and then when it comes back three nights later to take a picture of the same spot in the sky, it will have moved just a little bit. And that's the telltale sign that you have, you have seen something in the solar system, and it's something really far away. So it's, it's, uh, it's, if we haven't found it by then, that's what's going to track it down. And uh, what if we do find this planet nine? What could that planet look like? I mean, it's so far away from the sun. It's going to be cold. I mean, what else can we expect from its makeup? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and um, the first thing I'll tell you is we have no idea. I mean, we have ideas, but we really don't know. And the reason we don't know is because something that's six times the mass of the Earth, well, we don't have anything like that in the solar system. We have the Earth, and then we have Neptune, and in between is kind of no man's land. We think, though, when we, when we look at planets around other stars, we do see things that are closer to six times the mass of the Earth. And those tend to be gas giant planets like Uranus, like Neptune. And so we think that that's what it's going to be like. We think it's going to look sort of like Neptune, a big gassy thing, as opposed to being a really big frozen ice ball would be the, be the other alternative, sort of like a, a super large version of, uh, of Jupiter's moon Ganymede, you might, you might think of it as. We don't think it's going to be like that, but, but at the same time, our, our ability to predict unknown things in the solar system, what they're going to be like, is not good. So when it turns out to be not a gas giant and something else entirely, I guess I'm not going to be that surprised. What do the critics say about you know, the possibility of a ninth planet then? Scientists are skeptical because it's a pretty extraordinary claim, but the evidence is pretty compelling. So, but the, the main things that continue to be discussed are, 
first, whether or not it's even true that we're actually seeing this gravitational tug. There are people who've been trying to figure out if maybe it's just all um, a figment of, of random chance and a few, a little bit of bad luck. And we've, we pretty much addressed that one. It's, it's definitely there. This signature of a gravitational tug is there. And then once, once you know that signature is there, there's kind of no other solution. Other scientists have tried to work out physics where maybe it could be a big ring around the solar system instead of a planet. But, but I have to say that that's actually crazier. We know of planets at this distance around other stars. We don't know of any large rings quite like that unless they're caused by planets. So I think that now that the idea that this gravitational tug is really being seen is beginning to get settled, people are going to start to take this more seriously. I think there will always be people who are just just don't believe it until you see it. And that's the good news. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to make a theory and you just have to convince people. This one, we don't have to convince anybody. We just have to go find it. Mike Brown, professor of planetary astronomy at Caltech. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it was so much fun. And those options in the last few years have begun to assert themselves, right? Apprenticeships and uh, sort of faster, cheaper credentials and pathways to the labor market are appearing, and that's and that I think that, I think that that's that's driving uh, more men in, into those pathways than women. Joining us now is Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Thanks for inviting me. I want to talk about an interesting story I've been seeing get a lot of play uh, just over uh, the past couple of days a widening education gap that we're seeing across the U.S. And this is affecting men. We're seeing a lot of men, and this is happening across two and four-year colleges. Men are falling behind women in record levels. And there's a, a bunch of different reasons people have thought of. They maybe don't want to put the time and effort into it. They think the time and money put into it isn't worth it in the end when you get your degree. You know, as I mentioned, there's just a lot of different things going on. But Doug, what are we seeing in the numbers? Uh, let's start there. So around 1980, women and men had a parity on enrollment. And then ever since then, there's been a few more women every year that have increased uh, over men in enrollment. Um, and it's continued to grow inch by inch. And then during COVID, it accelerated significantly. And now we're at a point where it's at a record level. It's across two and four-year schools, 40% of enrolled students are male and 60% are female. Yeah, and we had seen uh, 1.5 million fewer students compared with five years ago. This is for U.S. colleges and universities. 71% of that drop was in men. And in the next few years, we're going to start seeing for every man that earns a college degree, two women are going to be earning college degrees. So, I mean, in that sense of things, it's great for the women that they're picking it up on that, uh, on that side. But why do people suspect that men are just dropping out so much more? So many different things going on with this that it's tricky to unpack, but some of the reasons that are informing what's happening are that, first of all, right now under COVID, there's a tight labor market. So there's a lot of work you can do, especially warehouse work and drivers work. A lot of college-age kids are, are interested in doing. Men are a little bit less, a little bit more reluctant to go into debt than women. So that's one thing. Women are much better students in high school. So there's way fewer guys who are college eligible college material when they graduate they graduate in lower levels and they enroll in lower levels and then they graduate college in lower levels so they're less successful students and there's a lot of conversation about why that is probably the most provocative theory is that 
K to 12 schools, you know, 85, 90% of the teachers are women and the schools are taught by women for girls and boys are considered broken girls. That's the phrase that gets tossed around in these conversations and that the, the education system punishes boys who have just a greater proclivity to get up and run around and move and can't sit still and concentrate and girls are more able to do that. So by the time boys are in second, third grade, they're not such a big fan of schools. They drop out at higher rates. They get suspended at higher rates. They get diagnosed with ADHD at higher rates. So it starts early. This is supposition. What, I'm, what I've just told you is a lot of folks have looked into that, but that's kind of the gist of why they think this is happening. And then the other big structural shift, I think, that's happening and that's been happening for a while is that, you know, in the 1970s, the United States moved away from vocational education. They said, we're not going to invest in this. What we want is a workforce that is college educated, college for all. And that just doesn't work for a lot of people. Of every hundred people who start college, 59% graduate in six years. That means that 41% don't, and it's actually greater for boys. So if you're not succeeding at college and you're risking going into significant debt to go to college or even getting a degree and being underemployed after college and not being able to pay off the debt, then you think to hell with it. And for guys, they think, well, there are other options. And those options in the last few years have begun to assert themselves, right? Apprenticeships and uh, sort of faster, cheaper credentials and pathways to the labor market are appearing. And that's, and that, I think that, I think that that's, that's driving uh, more men into those pathways than women. You spoke to a number of young men in this very case right now. And to your point right there, you, you spoke to a, a boy who's 18 years old who basically, you know, he's a great student. He didn't want to go to college. He took a landscaping job, makes $500 a week, and then earns money other ways as well. I think he makes some music, invests in cryptocurrencies. And so this is kind of a, a path that a lot of young men are taking. There's a huge amount of interest. The two things I heard, I reported this for several months, and the two things I heard the most from these young guys were crypto and Amazon. Amazon's hiring this couple thousand dollar um, sign-up bonus, check it out, and crypto, easy money, get in early, is a lot of that, right? I mean, we decentralize not just finance, but music. Or you can make a go at making a living in music. You don't need a record label deal to make it 20000 bucks a year. Now, there's just different options with the internet, and guys are tuning into this. If, on my TikTok feed, it's filled of side hustles to make extra money here and there. And I think there's just a sense among Gen Z that you're a sucker if you are working for a corporate nine to five because you're going to get tossed away as soon as they don't want you. So maybe a sense of independence that's, that's asserting itself too a little bit more among the men. And for the colleges themselves, you know, it's not for their lack of trying to get more men to apply and, and, and succeed and stay in school. You mentioned uh, in the article, too, a number of programs geared towards uh, helping men at Baylor University just to help them submit their high school transcripts. They have programs called Males and Moms Communication Campaign, you know, just to kind of uh, to give them that extra edge if they need it. There's two things happening. There's enrollment and there's retention. And the schools have been pretty aggressive under the table. They don't talk much about this. They've been pretty aggressive in putting their finger on the scale for men in admissions. And that means that if you have a son and a daughter, it's probably easier for your son to get admitted, especially to a private college, than your daughter. Because there are just more strong, eligible women who are applying to these schools. And these schools want to maintain at least a 40% number of, of guys because that is the um, just a, a sort of a golden line there. W women are less likely to want to apply to a school if, if they greatly outnumber men. 
So that's one of those things that's not talked about, but it's been going on for a while. The other issue is retention. And this is sort of the, the, the third leg of the story, and, and it's really a fascinating issue, but it cuts across the issue of the politics of the universities. Universities were built by wealthy white men for their sons. And everybody who is going now, who is, does not fit that description, who have built bridges to get into universities, they had to do just that. They had to make it fit for them, and they've done well. The universities are, are um, they don't look like they did 20 years ago, um, and, and they're just starting to reflect the nation a lot more. But the hangover for that is that these white guys in particular, there's a, a headwind for the school to say, hey, let's help these guys out too. They're hurting. And the response is, these are the most privileged people in society. Why should we be pouring money into them when we really need to be helping poor black guys or, or Latino women or whatever it is? And, and, and so they get caught up in that, and, and that's an issue too. One of the things you mentioned in uh, in the article and from talking to some of these young men is this uh, feeling lost, not necessarily knowing what to do next. One of the people you spoke to called it a hope deficit, you know, this lack of guidance that young men have. How did that play out in your conversations for this story? Fatherlessness was a big problem, or it remains a big problem in the black community. Uh, I think it's 68% of children are raised in a single parent household. That is now a significant issue in the white community. And in the, I don't know about the Latina community, but this is spreading across the country pretty well. And to be raised without a dad is not good for either a brother or a sister. But boys are more vulnerable as children in a lot of ways. It sounds a little counterintuitive, but and they are more vulnerable to some of the problems that are associated with fatherlessness. So as fatherlessness becomes a more socially acceptable and more widespread issue, Boys are suffering at a little bit of a higher rate than girls, and so that's probably feeding into this whole mess. It doesn't seem like there will be a reversal in the very, very near future. It seems like this would take some time. Have uh, administrators, anybody, colleges, universities, anybody that you've talked to feel like they might have a plan to reverse some of this, or we're just going to kind of keep you know, trying the best they can to, uh, as you mentioned, applying and then the retention there? I don't see this turning around, frankly. You know, what I see happening is the rise of these intermediate credentials. I think that the four-year diploma has reached its apex on the pendulum swing, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work as well as it used to or as well as it should, and it doesn't warrant it. The value's not there. So I think we're going to see just a growth in apprenticeships, and these other things. And I think there's going to be a cultural shift in acceptance of women who are going to be having more high-powered jobs and earning more money because the bottom line is the gateway to the C-suite and to a lot of the um, most powerful positions in this country remain through college gates. And uh, I'm hard-pressed to see any evidence right now that this is going to turn around. If you look to Europe, there are countries in Europe where this is far more pronounced this is a, a post-industrialized phenomenon that's happening in Europe now, in Australia. So schools are scrambling. They have some strategies. They have some tactics. They're making some headways in short bursts. I, don't, I doubt it'll hold, but we'll see. Doug Belkin, higher education reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much for inviting me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.